Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Naftal Benesti, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 26. Christy Huff, MD, Director of the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. And today it's February 22nd, 2023. Today, I've had the absolute pleasure to have a talk with Christy Huff, Director of Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. I hope you enjoy the interview and stick around for the post show where I do a bit of updating about the podcast. Enjoy. And before I kick off with the introduction and the interview itself, um, I want to remind you guys that in the description of the podcast, you'll find many interesting links concerning Christy Huff and the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. Christy Huff, MD, is a cardiologist and director of Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, a nonprofit that educates about the adverse effects of prescribed benzodiazepines. Dr. Huff attended medical school at the University of Texas Southwestern, where she graduated Alpha Omega Alpha. Dr. Huff experienced benzodiazepine adverse effects and injury firsthand after three weeks of prescribed Xanax use for insomnia in 2015. Over a three-year period, she slowly tapered off benzodiazepines, utilizing Valium, and suffered a protracted and disabling withdrawal. Her personal experience led her to realize the serious risks of these medications and the severity of the benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome, neither of which were emphasized during her medical training. Dr. Huff specifically advocates for better education of physicians regarding the adverse effects of benzodiazepines and how to safely taper patients off these medications. In addition to her work at BIC, she is a member of the Colorado Consortium's Benzodiazepine Action Workgroup. So welcome, Christy. Welcome. Could you briefly share with the audience um, what your experience on benzodiazepines was? Sure. So I was prescribed benzodiazepines back in 2015. I was having very severe dry eye syndrome. It was really painful and I couldn't sleep. And so I was given a prescription for Xanax. Um, I never took more than prescribed. Actually, I took less than prescribed at first. I just took 0.25 milligrams to sleep. And after a few weeks of doing that, um, I developed some really strange symptoms. And it turned out um, in hindsight that I was experiencing tolerance and interdose withdrawal. And I had become physically dependent on the medication. So, um, after a period of time where, you know, we were trying to figure out what was going on, you know, I finally went to the internet and figured things out via the website Benzo Buddies. Um, and I ended up switching over to um, diazepam or Valium because this long half-life helped me with that interdose withdrawal. And I was, I started to taper off the medication. Um, and, but unfortunately it took me over three years to come off the medication and I was very sick the entire time. Um, currently, I am almost four years benzodiazepine-free, and I've had a lot of recovery over the last four years, um, although I still have, you know, some lingering symptoms related to the benzodiazepines. Right, right. Yeah, and, and could you tell the audience briefly how you got to be the director of BIC? Sure. So BIC is a patient-led organi organization that was formed in 2016. And they approached me um, later on in that year to write up my story. Um, 
for them because I was a physician going through the benzodiazepine withdrawal process. And so I did that. And after that, things just sort of um, took off. One of their directors stepped down and I got, I, I took that position and then really, um, I thought the rest is history. I've just um, got really heavily involved in advocacy. And it was, it was something that I think I did at first, um, you know, the, to kind of help me through my taper, I think focusing on helping others gave me sort of a distraction. And I also was just really shocked because I had never learned about some of these things in medical school about how bad the, and how long the benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome can be. And so I really wanted to raise awareness on this issue. And so um, my work is continuing on that today. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for doing that. So one of the things that um, you guys are working on is the concept of BIND, which is benzodiazepine-induced neurological dysfunction. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So that's a relatively new term that we have come up with. Um, actually, it's the concept itself isn't really new because... Ashton described um, patients experiencing symptoms of protracted withdrawal in the literature back in the 80s and 90s. Um, the patients experiencing these um, long-term symptoms, both physical and psychological, um, months to even years after fully stopping a benzodiazepine. Um, but recently, um, Bernie Silvernail of the Alliance for Benzo Best Practices, he got together the Benzodiazepine Nosology Group, which was a, um, a group of both clinical experts and patients with lived experience. And we looked at a new term for describing this protracted condition. Because really, if we're talking about um, these long-term symptoms that are persisting after stopping the medication, at a certain point, it's not really withdrawal anymore because acute withdrawal should be resolving um, within, within a matter of weeks. So these long-term symptoms are um, more related either to neuroadaptation or um, neurotoxicity or damage from the, the drug itself. And so we, you know, talked a lot of, about a lot of different terms, but we came up with this term, um, benzodiazepine-induced neurologic dysfunction, which I think accurately describes what is happening and also has the nice acronym BIND, which I think is, um, you know, a bit catchy and hopefully um, that will take off with prescribers and patients alike. I think it's great. And also not only for after we, we've come off, but also during uh, withdrawal that could potentially last for a really long time. Yes, for sure. So I think it's great that you guys did it. I actually did a whole episode on it. I was, I was like, this is, this is so good. This is such a good explanation. Um, so what can you tell the listeners about the peer support training program? Yeah, so that's an, another project that we have been working on in conjunction with several other organizations. It's actually through uh, the Colorado Consortiums, the state of Colorado's benzodiazepine action work group that we formed. I believe we formed it in 2021. I know it was during the pandemic, and we meet virtually once a month. And one of the projects that we came up with 
was this peer support project. Um, apparently in the, the realm of substance use, um, the concept of peer support has been um, used for quite some time. So people with lived experience are supporting um, and that have recovered are supporting others through their addiction recovery process. And we took that model and adapted it for um, benzodiazepine patients. Now, you know, most of our patients are taking their benzodiazepine as prescribed and they're experiencing physical dependence and not issues with addiction or substance use, but there was a lot of overlap between the models. And so we spent over a year developing a training course um, that's going to train um, peer supporters in how to best support individuals that are tapering and withdrawing and recovering from uh, benzodiazepine use. Um, we had the pilot course back in December um, 2022, and the plans are to roll it out in the state of Colorado. And within the next couple of months, it's going to be available online. And then after that, hopefully nationally, and the overarching goal is to get basically an army of these peer supporters trained up so that we have more support um, for these individuals, because it, it really takes a lot of support. This is a long-term process for, for many people coming off the medications and they can really benefit from more support. And at this point, because it's been so under-recognized by the medical profession, um, there hasn't been a lot of support beyond uh, what people are finding online. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that was one of my challenges that I wasn't able to find help. And if, well, the help that I got wasn't the, the right help, if I, if I say so myself. Uh, so I think it's great that you guys are working on that. And what can you tell us about the ASAM benzodiazepine deprescribing guidelines? Yeah, so that's another project that we've recently gotten involved with. So the, um, the FDA actually held a conference back in July of 2021 um, on the safe use of benzodiazepines. And um, I, along with Steve Wright and a couple other people, were able to share some of the lived experiences of patients with benzodiazepines. And we really impressed upon the FDA that there needed to be more guidance on the deprescribing of benzodiazepines because right now there's no real standardized guidelines. Um, and um, so the, they, the FDA actually, the US FDA came up with a benzodiazepine, uh, an update to their box warning in 2020 and it, they recommend a gradual taper off the drug, but there's not really specific recommendations of how exactly you do it. So, um, you know, based on what they heard in this conference uh, back in 2021, they ended up putting out a $2 million grant for putting together um, of some standardized guidelines for tapering off of benzodiazepines. And um, apparently the American Society of Addiction Medicine, in conjunction with some other major medical organizations, they... Um, you know, they won that grant to do those guidelines. And so they've already started on that process. As part of the um, stipulations of the grant, um, patients are supposed to be involved in the process. So 
lived experience does come into play. So ASAM has started a patient panel of which several of us, including myself, are involved. And we are able to share our lived experience and, you know, some of the pitfalls that we've come across with benzodiazepines and, and you know, just hopefully we're going to get to inform um, the process along the way and really um, hopefully these guidelines will turn out to be, um, you know, something helpful for patients. Yeah, yeah. And I think you guys made such a good start um, with the um, FDA black box warning. Um, it's so needed. Well, as far as the box warning, um, the FDA has a MedWatch database where patients and physicians are encouraged to um, report any adverse events. And we actually had a, um, we encouraged people to do that back in 2018, kind of a adverse event reporting drive. And the FDA actually saw a spike in the number of reports um, because we we saw that in one of the reports they generated when they were looking at um, whether they needed to increase this the warning labels for benzodiazepines. Um, and so we, I think we had at least a small part in um, in strengthening those warnings um, because the FDA really took a look at um, all the literature surrounding benzodiazepines and also those adverse event reports that people have put in the database. And they concluded that the warning labels weren't strong enough. And they recorded that there's risk of addiction, abuse, physical dependence, and withdrawal for these medications. Um, specifically regarding addiction, they said that that was more occurring in people um, that were using or abusing more than one medication or polysubstance use while uh, most of the people having physical dependence and withdrawal reactions were actually just using them at prescribed therapeutic doses. And so they came up with recommendations for basically prescribing these medications judiciously, um, hopefully keeping them in the no more than short-term use, and also um, recommended like, you know, the gradual tapler off to, off to the medications. And we were also pleased to see that for the first time, they noted that protractive withdrawal can happen in these patients and that they're defining protractive withdrawal as symptoms lasting 12 months or more. And, um, and I do know in other countries, um, you know, depending on the country, it seems like most of them have their own adverse events um, database. So, you know, wherever you're listening, um, it would be a good idea to check into that. And um, I think the more information we have on these medications, the better. So even if I know we have these warnings in the United States, but I, I think we could still use more data about, you know, how, how often this protractive withdrawal situation is occurring and, you know, data with people that maybe having issues with suicide, akathisia, things like that. All of that needs to be reported. Yeah, I totally 100% agree with you. Um, I did it in my country. I um, did the adverse um, event report uh, in my country, <laughs> and I hope that they pick it up. I was like, I'm getting, I got seizures. I almost died. <laughs> yeah, back when I was prescribed these medications in 2015, there, there really wasn't that much on the warning label. There was... 
they didn't really say much about physical dependence. It was just kind of the standard stuff like, oh, this may cause drowsiness or dizziness. It wasn't really too shocking or concerning. And so I think really this was a much needed um, thing. And, you know, I, I talked to some of the members of the FDA at that conference that I had mentioned back in 2021. And they said, well, none of this was new information. We've known about this for years, but they had, they just really thought, okay, we need to, to get this on the books. So um, I guess better late than never. That's true. That's true. I really hope for the upcoming generations, uh, including doctors, prescribers, and patients, that they're just more informed about what these drugs are, what they do, um, potential benefits, but very specific on the short-term use. That is what's something that I would really like to see happen. Um, but yeah, like you said, better, better late than never. Um, so are you currently doing an adverse event report still, or just you, are you guys encouraging for everyone to really um, get out there and make sure that they know? Yeah, we still encourage it because while the box warning was um, great, it had some much needed information for patients, I still think this concept of protracted withdrawal and bind um, is minimized. And I think it needs to be further explored. I think that's something that should be stronger on the, the warning labels. Because if you look at the label, it just makes it sound like it's, oh, well, it's, it's this rare thing and it's not that big a deal. But this is something that's life altering for, for many people. And so I would personally like to see that um, <laughs> in big letters um, before anyone takes the medication that, hey, you could, you know, be damaged for quite some time and have a very long recovery. People need to, to know that going in. Um, so yeah, yeah please, um, you know, no matter what country you're in, I think you need to, and, and if you've been harmed by these medications, please report that um, to the appropriate agency. So yes, we're absolutely still um, collecting those reports here. And we have a link on our website um, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Great. So are there any other projects that you're currently working on in terms of benzodiazepines? Well, that's a good question. So we covered peer support. We covered um, ACM. We have a paper we're tr um, trying to get published on um, BIND. So that, that'll be coming. Um, of course, that always takes a few months to go through the the peer review process so that it, it that may be later this year on that, but that that's going to have data from our benzodiazepine experience survey that, um, that we posted online back in 2018. And we already have um, two papers out. The second paper actually just came out earlier this month in um, therapeutic advances in psychopharmacology. And so hopefully we'll be getting this um, third paper done soon or, or published soon with later this year. And um, I'm going to be presenting at two different conferences um, in the United States in April. The first one's going to be at RX Summit in Atlanta. And that's a big um, conference that um, basically it's covers the opioid crisis and substance use issues. Um, but we're going to go there. Our, our Colorado Consortium group of 
a group of us are going to go and present on benzodiazepine safety, and we're going to talk about um, safety and prescribing and de-prescribing, and hopefully be able to cover a little bit of material on BIND as well. And then I'm going to fly directly from that conference to the American Society of Addiction Medicine conference, um, which is going to be in Washington, D.C., and I'll be presenting um, a poster there with data from our, our BIND paper. So people are going to get a sneak preview of um, the BIND paper. And so I, I'm really excited about that to be able to um, share about BIND on a national um, platform. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a great concept. Um, I've told my parents about BIND. Um, it's a very, um, a theme currently on Benzo Buddies. Um, as you know, is uh, one of the platforms that people can go to um, if they want to taper or want advice or whatnot. Um, so I really hope that it um, becomes a thing. And I, I, I think it would be nice for people like myself to say, hey, my name is this and I have bind. Yeah, I agree. And that's so we've we've obviously named it. We're starting to we're going to publish a paper about it for presenting research at conferences. But I think that is the next step is just. It's getting to be more and more use in the, the online communities, but we really need to get it out into mainstream medicine. So that's going to be our um, our next challenge. Yeah, I think it's great what you're doing for the community, and I have so much respect for you. Now, a lot of my listeners are currently in withdrawal themselves. Are there any words of encouragement that you would like to give them? Sure. Um I think the big thing to know is that it gets better. Um, in some ways, my story is not encouraging just because it took so long and I was so miserable during all of my taper. I really just thought I was going to die. But I I pushed through. I you know I kept going. I, I felt like I was hanging on by a thread. And once I finished up my taper, um, I started to get better a little bit once I was kind of through that acute withdrawal process in the first month or two, things just started to steadily get better. And I was doing pretty good by like a year off the medication. Um, Cause towards the end of my taper, I was like bed bound. My body was a wreck. I was, I was a mess. Um, and I went in the span of a year after being fully free of the, to, the drug to being able to, walk around and I, I took my daughter to Disneyland at, you know, it's this big theme park here. And, and I was able to, to manage that. But even though, you know, I, I wasn't even fully recovered though at a year off, like I can, I continue to just get a little better, a little better, a little better. And so I'm, even though what I went through was really horrible, um, I am back to a fully functional life. And while I still have some you know, symptoms. I still struggle with fatigue and, you know, some brain fog. I can't do a hundred percent of what I used to do, but again, I'm getting better and better and I have a fully functional life. I'm, I'm happy. And it's, just, it's like night and day compared to what I was in the taper process. So just know if you're going through a taper that it's really is better on the other side. Um, so just, just hang in there. Um, I know there's really dark days, but you're going to make it.
Yeah, good words. Something that I'm very curious to hear your opinion about, because I, I think I found the deprescribing guideline on the Colorado Consortium, and I think it's really good, the, the way that you set it up. Mm -hmm. um, it does state a sentence where some people are unable to fully taper to zero. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think that's um, it's going to be an individual process. Um, and there may be some people that just cannot fully make it off the drug or, you know, there's some people that have life situations where they're trying to manage a family and a, a job and it's just not practical for, for them to be, you know, utterly disabled. Um, you know, like I wasn't my taper, like I was going to come off this drug, um, come hell or high water basically. But, but I had, I didn't have to work and, um, I did have to manage a family and that was difficult. But for, for me, I just knew I needed to come off or I was never going to be well again. But then, you know, there's other people that seem to do better on the drug and then coming off of the drug is really, you know, so hard for them and life disrupting that it, it may not make sense. And so I think we put that in the guideline just to let physicians know that this is an individual process and there's not a one size fits all approach for everyone because, you know, physicians tend to want to just get people off these drugs, um, no matter what, um, with think without thinking about the person's life situation. Um, and then just trying to get them off as fast as possible, which is, we obviously know is the exact wrong thing to do. And so I think that was the main reason we put that in the guideline. Yeah. And, and so, Great that you've done that. Um, I've actually shared it with um, the audience. I even put a link in the description of that episode where I did that um, so people can find it. And I was like, it's such a good paper to print out and take to your physician. Obviously, we have the Ashton manual, but if you want to print that whole thing out, it's kind of a lot. Um, but I think you guys did so well on, well, everything that you're doing is so great. Um, thank you so much. Um, you are a year off when you, um, about the blog, it's like a year after you've come off. Um, people will find that blog. Um, yes. you say that you're a lot better now. Um, obviously you're very busy with, um, with Bic nowadays. Um, maybe people are wondering how much you even got better in the span of three years after. So in total of four years. Yeah. Um, that's a very good question. I've, I've been thinking maybe one day I should, um, update that blog and actually I did sort of an update if you for those of you that are on Benzo Buddies my handle is hope76 and I have a progress log there and I had actually during the thick of it during my taper days I had tweeted out um, the 80 symptoms that I was experiencing I think it was 79 actually to be exact um, and I took that list and I cut and pasted it into my progress list log on benzo buddies and then i like i updated how i was doing symptom by symptom because people ask me all the time you know about this symptom and that symptom so if you're interested you can look on that progress log and kind of see how i'm doing in that regard and um you know for the most part a lot, a lot of the symptoms are just oh, gone or cool. like a lot of intensity and so i think it's good to see by um breakdown i will I will say that I think a, a large percentage of my recovery happened in that first year off just because I went from being bed bound to, um, you know, being able to walk around. But 
even then, I mean, it's taken me a long time to just get my, my strength back. And, you know, I've been working on exercise and then it almost felt to me like my life was this just big thousand piece puzzle that had just been like dumped out on the floor. And now I've, the last four years, I've just spent like putting the pieces back together one by one. And it's, you know, it's taken a lot of time to do that. Um, but I would say, you know, with my physical health, probably a leaps and bounds recovery in the first year. And then it's been kind of more of a slow climb upward over the last three years. But again, I, I still feel like I'm getting a little better, a little better. It's just, you know, less perceptible and less dramatic than it was. Right, right. Okay, well, thanks. On behalf of all the listeners and myself, thank you so much for making time for us, for me, for the podcast. And keep on doing what you're doing. You're doing so well. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So that was the interview with Christy Huff. I hope you all enjoyed. Um, I actually spoke with her a little bit more after the interview. And she is just so lovely. And uh, I'm so happy that she wanted to be on my show. And we had such a a good time talking to each other. Um, She seems great. Welcome to the post show where I tell you guys a little bit about the podcast and my taper. It's been a long time since I've done a post show. (laughs) Um, I've been busy, which is good, good, good. Um, Also, I just had so many interviews, which I never expected to happen. Um, Speaking of that, um, I've had some massive technical issues uh, doing the interviews. Um, I tried to figure out what it was. And for now, I have to conclude that it's the service that I've been using. Anchor, it's a great thing for making podcasts, um, but the interviews that I've been doing on them, um, they tend to go chipmunk on me. <laughs> I, go, I go chipmunk and whoever I'm interviewing goes chipmunk. So um, I am definitely going to look for another service to do the interviews with um, because it's um, disturbing. It's also like literally during the interview that I fade away, the other person fades away. So that needs to stop if I really want to keep on doing this semi-professionally. So in terms of my taper, I am doing really, really well. I have been doing well for like a consistent week. So that is new. I hope it stays that way. Um, One of the things that I really wanted to do with the podcast series in terms of my taper is be very specific although not too elaborate, um, but I'm really planning on doing a separate episode. And I'm expecting by latest, it'll be May this year when I um, publish that episode. Now there's one big spoiler alert that I want to share with you guys. I am sleeping so much better. I'm not saying it's great. It can be broken. um, But in terms of the hours that I'm getting in terms of sleep, it's just so much better. And to me, that is all. That's everything. It's like, I'm able to do a lot of things now because I have the energy to do them because I've just been sleeping better. Um, well, another spoiler alert is that I quit taking melatonin, which did absolutely nothing, <laughs> did absolutely nothing. Um, I am currently tapering the beta blockers, which I suspect I'll be more elaborate on in a future episode. So one thing that I do want to say is it does get better. <laughs> well, it does get better. Um, and I really hope that what Christy said in the interview as well is she got better. Um, she went through a really, really rough time, but she did get better. 
Um, and I think we all have to, when we can embrace that, you know, look for that light at the end of the tunnel. My thoughts are with you. If you're listening, always, I'm always thinking about everybody going through this. Um, and I just wish you the best of luck and strength. And yeah, my prayers and my thoughts are with you. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash